Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'd like to talk about the habit of celebration and celebrating with kiddos with trauma histories and neurodiversity, which looks a little bit different. I'm going to start with a quote from the book, Seven Habits of a Healthy Home. Make sure that the good ground of your home includes an abundance of laughter, parties, celebrations, presents, candles, Christmas trees, gifts, surprises, Rocky Road ice cream, jokes, backyard picnics, vacations, mountain bikes, bike rides, swimming, fishing, and games. Now, that phrase, the habit of celebration, is a term that I learned years and years ago when a guest speaker, Bill Carmichael, shared at our church. And now, it wasn't the fact that I wasn't practicing the habit of celebration, celebrating birthdays and holidays and such. It was just like that idea that I could choose when and how to celebrate And let me just add that I'm very super grateful that I heard him speak on this topic, the habit of celebration, pre-adoption, so that I could begin to implement the habit of celebration in a new way as my family changed and grew. So before I get into the meat of this topic, I want to remind you that I am a neurodivergent mama and nini to kiddos and grandkiddos who have trauma histories and or neurodiversities. When it comes to loud, overwhelming celebrations, those two mix like oil and water with these kiddos. But I also want to add before I move forward that celebration is a choice. If our family had waited until all the circumstances were perfect Before we celebrated life, we never would. And that's the thing when you're raising kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes, it can seem like there's never a moment that you can pause and celebrate. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He who observes the wind and waits for all conditions to be favorable will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I think this scripture puts it pretty plainly, and I copied this scripture 
in my journal many times when it came to the habit of celebration. Because if we wait for conditions to be favorable or for everything to be perfect, then I will never sow nor will I reap. If I want to reap a harvest of memories with my kiddos, then I must sow the habit of celebration over and over again. I never know which memories will stick. And now, every once in a while, my children will speak of a bad memory from their trauma past, but more often than that, they share good family memories and good family memories that I didn't know were going to be good memories for them when we were actually participating in the activity. Because one of my sons, he said, remember when we were hiking at Cooper's Rock? Or remember when we made cards at my birthday party? Another child. Remember when we rollerbladed up and down the boardwalk at the beach? Another child. Each one of these memories was probably preceded by unfavorable conditions. In fact, I can say that they were. When we're raising kiddos with trauma histories and neurodiversities, it's easy to get caught up in meeting the immediate physical needs. And that stops us from sowing those seeds of the habit of celebration. In her article, Hopes and Prayers, Joyce Maynard describes what happens to so many of us. We're so consumed with the feeding, the dressing, the buckling into our car seats, the finding of bathrooms, the counting of heads, she says, that we sometimes forget there's any greater mission to raising children than making sure that the crusts are cut off the sandwiches and that everybody gets a balloon. And I will just add to that, when raising kiddos with trauma histories and neurodiversities, this is especially dangerous. It's easy to get stuck into the rut of feeding and clothing children and trying to deal with each phobia or medical issue, reading articles on attachment, talking to other parents about what they do in such and such situation. It's exhausting and it's overwhelming and all the joy is sucked out of our life when there is no celebration. So I'm going to talk about several things today. And the first one is infusing the habit of celebration into everyday life. Celebration can be super simple. As a child, one of my favorite places to go was my Aunt Margie's house. She was the mother of 12, a nurse, and she lived life to the fullest. In her dining room, she had like all of these picnic tables lined up against the wall end to end. And there were always crafts to do on those picnic tables. And there was always something cooking on the stove. I could get a bowl of whatever that was anytime I wanted. That made me feel really special and powerful. Aunt Margie would sit at that table with us kids, gluing plastic eyes on egg carton caterpillars and telling me what a great job I was doing. One of the things I learned from Aunt Margie was to take the time to make everyone feel special. And it can be as simple as egg carton caterpillars or having a bowl of chili when it's not dinner time. And I'm not saying those are the things that you need to do. Those are just some things that I, I learned as a child that I've infused into everyday celebrations 
at my home. And let's go on and talk about family meal times. Family meal times are often a rushed event in today's day and age, and I get it. I get it. You know, we're busy. There's soccer practice, there's play practice, swimming, all of, I'm listing all the things that we've done. But we have to remember that at the dinner table, the physical need is met with food, and then the emotional need is met with conversation. The conversation allows the family to connect, and we're seeking attachment with these kiddos, right? So when we're working on the habit of celebration, try slowing down and adding a dinner question or topic of conversation. On one of the podcasts that Dr. Jared spoke on, he talked about if you've never done this before, like sat down together as a family for a meal because everything is so rushed, try doing it once a week and adding a question such as, my favorite thing that happened today, or what I would do if there were a zombie apocalypse. Like these are actual conversations that we've had at our dinner table. And of course, as the kids get older, you can get more serious with the topics. Um, I'm going to read this quote from Parenting the Hurt Child. Nurturing through food is not just about calories. It can be about making dinner fun and eating meals together, preparing food, enjoying it, and even cleaning up after the feast are all parts of the rituals of most families. Whether we like it or not, food is important to most of us and our children. And I will add to that quote, kiddos with trauma histories, the food may be even more important to them because they may feel as if it's not going to be there the next time they're hungry. So making family mealtime something that everybody participates in, whether it's they're slicing the carrots or mixing the salad or setting the table, having that ritual provides more felt safety for these kiddos. Okay, moving on. Now I would like to talk about our own holiday traditions. And the reason I really wanted to talk about this is because I belong to like a business mastermind group and we meet on Zoom. These ladies are in all different parts of the country and we meet and we just talk about what's going on in our lives. We don't always talk about business, but they suggested to me, you know, because I mentioned we had our fall harvest day coming up and it. They said, you need to talk about that on the podcast, how you do all of these different holiday traditions. Talk about it and talk about how you do it. Now I'm getting really wordy here, but okay, so here we go. So many years ago, we added our own holidays. Apple picking day, fall harvest day, Christmas cookie and craft day, spring fun day, camp lemon lime, that's our family camp pool days, and and more, depending on the year. Why did we do those? I'll get to that in a minute. But before I share a little bit about them, let me talk about why it is important to practice the habit of celebration on your own turf, in your own way, when raising kiddos with trauma histories and or capital letter syndromes. This is why. Often going to events is overstimulating for these kiddos. 
hosting an event on your own turf means you can help your kiddos learn to enjoy celebrations and control the order and environment in as as much as possible because you're in your own turf. When we do this, it gives the kiddos a chance to calm their nervous system by knowing what to expect and enjoy the event. Not that they won't have a meltdown at a celebration you arranged, but it will decrease the severity and frequency and bump up that ability for a child to enjoy the celebration and build a store of new memories. Because when you have that felt safety, when your amygdala is not triggered and you're not on this high cortisol loop, then you can remember things better. You can enjoy things more. And that's what we want for our kiddos. And, and they can form a new neural connection about that holiday. Whereas if they've had a trauma history and they've come from neglect or abuse and holidays were just another day on the calendar or a day of lack or a day that they watched other people doing things, you want them to get a store of new memories and form those new neural connections. Traditions are important. And I talk about this in my book, 25 Days of Thriving Through Christmas. Um, Tip 14 in this book, which is a combination of a tip for you every day so you can thrive through the Christmas season and also a biblical application and weekly chapters on different characters from the Christmas story. So anyway, tip 14, start a tradition. The truth is we all have traditions, whether we choose them or we participate in them by default. For instance, if you say we are not going to do anything on Christmas Day and you don't, that's your tradition. Or we say to our spouses, been there, done that, but my mom did it this way. And these traditions are seared into our minds so deeply, we consider them dates on a calendar instead of choices that we make. So if that's you, like, hey, wait a minute, I that didn't work for me, that doesn't work for my kids, I need to do it a little bit differently, I want to celebrate, but we need to celebrate the way that works for our family. Remember, each family is its own little culture. We have our own family government. We parents get to make those decisions for our family. And our children who have come from hard places may have traditions embedded in their lives and their minds and their bodies too. They may traditionally remember no dinner on Christmas Day or presents or no Thanksgiving dinner. Well, mine didn't have Thanksgiving dinner because they were from Poland. (laughs) But they may have treated these holidays as just another day. So here's a challenge that I made for myself to dare to parent, to choose traditions of my own. So when we decide to start a new tradition, we have to give the child fair warning. I'm not saying sit down and give them a 10-minute lecture. Okay, now we're going to start celebrating Thanksgiving at home, and we're not going to go to Aunt So-and-So's, 
or we're going to have a fall harvest day, or we're going to have a cookie and craft day. Just let them know it's coming up. We're going to do this. It's on the calendar and they will begin to ask questions and let them ask questions and you answer them. Just remember, the beginning of a tradition now is a pocket full of memories later. That's a quote from 25 Days of Thriving Through Christmas. Here are, I'm gonna share three reasons to create your own holidays. Number one, holiday parties and events may be overstimulating for your kiddos. When this is true, no one enjoys the celebration. Instead of celebrating, it is just surviving. And I know as adults, we can look back and say, there were times in the holidays, whatever holiday it was, any time of year, whether it's Valentine's Day, whether it was New Year's Day, Christmas, whatever it was, where we went to an event and we just like, oh my gosh, I, I was so glad to leave. You were just surviving. We don't want our kiddos to just survive. Honestly, there are times in our life we still have to do that. But we can make that choice to plan our own holidays. Number two, you have to count the cost. It may take days or weeks for your child to recover from the party or event. If it takes all of that time for your child to recover, then they can't enjoy the rest of the season. While I can't promise it won't take you time to recover from your homegrown event on your own turf, the next point explains why it will take less time for recovery for you and your whole family. When you plan an event on your own turf, you provide felt safety. You schedule, you set the schedule, you plan the activities. You can skip or change whatever doesn't work. There's also the added benefit that your kiddo can retreat to a quiet, familiar place when they're overwhelmed because you are at your own home. Now I'm going to get into the nitty gritty. So how to plan a holiday event on your own turf. Earlier I spoke of when we added our own holidays, apple picking day, fall harvest day, Christmas cookie and craft day, spring fun day, camp lemon lime, our family camp, pool days, etc. Now you might be wondering what that actually looks like. Like, tell me how you do that, Kathleen, because I might want to do that myself. All right, I'm going to give you 10 tips for hosting your own family event. Okay, you ready? Number one, pick a day for your event. This day should be significantly in the future. By that, I mean don't pick three days from now. That's just too much stress and too much work. For instance, we're planning, we have our fall harvest day this coming weekend, and we've known that it is on this particular weekend for months. We didn't just pick it yesterday, and this is why. Well, I'll get to that. Actually, number two. 
Pick activities you'd like to include. For instance, for Fall Harvest Day this year, we have pumpkin carving, door-to-door trick-or-treating in our own house, our own doors. (laughs) And if you follow me on Instagram, I shared videos about that last year, and I might just share some more this year. Cookie decorating with hot chocolate, a succulent planting station, a pumpkin scavenger hunt, and of course, leaf pile jumping. So pick out exactly what you want to do. Write it all down because it will make sense in a few points here. But then number three, plan your menu. Know right now, like, you know, if you're doing it a month from now, whatever your family event is, know what you're going to eat. Whether you're going to have a meal or snacks, write it down. And this is why, because number four, you're going to do a brain dump of everything you have to do up to a month or two ahead of time. And if you do this same event annually, then you can save this brain dump and edit it to fit the new year. Include food, other items that you need to purchase for the event in this brain dump. And it doesn't have to be exact yet, but you will get to that, okay? Because number five is from your brain dump, make a list of tasks and add them to your daily planner, including your shopping. And let me just, for instance, if you have on there clean the bathrooms and you put it in your planner, you don't want to do that a month before your event. Well, you do, but you don't want to do it for that event a month beforehand. But you could add... Make the pumpkin muffins a month ahead of time and have that written on your calendar and then you can freeze them. So spreading the items that you have to purchase over a series of months instead of buying everything at once is more budget friendly. Plus, whatever you can save from previous years like extra fall stickers or crafts you didn't do last year that that's a plus as well. And the reason we want to spread these tasks out is because um, I know that some people, they're like, you know, wait till the last minute and the day before we're going to do all the shopping, all the baking, all the prep. And that is just so overwhelming, especially for the mom, that by the time the event comes, Nobody's going to enjoy it because mom is overstressed already, speaking from practical experience. And you may have to teach your family by example with this habit. And let's say that you have teens in your family and you're like, okay, so today I need to do this shopping or do this. And maybe they can help you with that. Give them a job to do. Okay? And number six is what I'm talking about. Delegate jobs as much as possible. For instance, this year, my daughter Audrey is buying the prizes. Anya is handling the cookie dough and the hot chocolate. Amory is buying the tiny pots for the succulent station. I've got food for the day, candy, pumpkins, and everything else, and I have almost all of that already done. And I'm not doing that to brag. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying if you take this and you spread it out and you delegate 
and you do things way ahead of time, it makes the day much less stressful and much more enjoyable. I didn't say not stressful at all. I said much less stressful. So if your kids are younger and you're inviting some friends to these events, ask them to pitch in with specific jobs. And listen, it's better to say, I really need you to bring five pumpkins than to say, bring whatever and still have the task of buying the pumpkins and hoping that your friend brings something you need. For example, when we hosted our Easter egg hunts pre-pandemic and we like invite a lot of friends and have our family, I asked the parents to drop off 12 eggs per child before the event so I could pre-stuff them like a week ahead of time. Just drop these off. Or if you want to just give me some money and have me purchase them, it's okay to do that. All right, number seven, the week before your event, recheck your list. That's what I'm on right now. I'm rechecking my list. It's no fun to have one day before your event and realize you haven't purchased or made a crucial item. Been there, done that. Don't want to do that. Number eight, keep it simple. I'm a huge fan of doing things well, of decorating my home for each season, having all the homemade goodies, and not to mention, I am a recovering perfectionist. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see some really cute pictures from the events that we have, but what you don't see is the mess in the background. While I do clean my home before each event, it's not the time to stress out about muddy footprints while kids are running in and out and having a good time or to think that you need the perfect cookie dough recipe that took you an afternoon to prepare or expect the kiddos to do every craft, make Pinterest-worthy cookies. More about that in the next point. Keeping it simple simply means less stress for you, less stress for the participants, and more joy for all. I just want to take a minute and tell you about one of the one of the inciting incidents to get me starting our own cookie day. A friend of mine, she has a cookie day every year with her daughters and now her grandkids, but they would make these, I'm telling you, and they still do, these Pinterest-worthy, beautiful cookies, and so many, like you can't even count them, like fill up their whole dining room table, all of their kitchen counters, and then they box them up into dozens, and it's for a good cause They give them to people and pass them out for gifts and things like that. But when I would see her pictures of that, I would just be like, my family cannot do that. It is too much for my kiddos to be expected to make a perfect cookie. So I thought, why don't I just start doing it my own way? So we did. We started having a cookie and craft day and we would make a couple different kinds of dough And the boys seem to make these cookie mounds and we hope that they bake and put icing on them and eat them. And my girls, when they started getting a little bit older, they would make a little bit fancier ones. But then I also had to get into my mind 
this cookie day is not does not serve the same purpose as my friends. We're not making cookies as gifts for people. We're making cookies for a habit of celebration just for the fun of it. And we probably won't have any left over at the end of the day. If we do, it's just a few for people to take home. And that's what it's been. And it's okay. It's okay. And now my grandkids come to our cookie day. So it's like it's continued. All right. Number nine. Kids should be allowed to opt out of activities. This means we change our expectations. Just like I changed my expectations of my cookie day. If a kid needs a quiet space and a break, it all goes back to providing felt safety. Let them. And if sticking their hands in potting soil is a sensory overload, but they still want that cute succulent in the pot, plan it for them while they watch. The key is, here's the key, are they having fun and feeling safe at the same time? I'm not saying that they're never going to melt down or they're never going to say, I don't want to do this or I don't like this, but I'm saying overall, that's the key. That's the overarching theme there. And then number 10, be flexible. By that, I mean you as the adult can decide not to do an activity. If you're three quarters through the day and you still have three crafts prepped and you know the kiddos are done, they're done. You're the adult. Pack those up for next year and take a break. And I'm going to give you one last bonus, bonus tip. It's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. First of all, life is messy. You know, raising seven kiddos with me being someone who likes to be organized and perfectionist, that really, that was a challenge in my life that God had to work on. It's going to be messy, but it's okay. Tell yourself, prep yourself. It's going to be messy. For instance, the other day, I had some of my grandkiddos, and we, on the spur of the moment, decided to make um, banana chocolate chip walnut muffins, and all of the little kids helped. And I told my husband that I'm like, listen, because he's, he's like perfectionist too. I'm like, you couldn't have handled it. There was flour everywhere. There were chocolate chips everywhere. There was sugar everywhere. There was everything everywhere. And I'm not saying that I'm like, woohoo, it's a mess. I'm saying that I have learned to adjust my expectations to with I go with, it's going to be messy. Guess what? Messes clean up. But when you are constantly harping on your children for spilling something or dropping something or getting flour all over the counter in themselves or the egg when they're cracking it like one of my grandkids he was cracking the egg and it just popped all over the place so what it cleans up if you go in with that attitude it's okay and if it's if you're very very super particular about that and one of the things that I've done is we have craft shirts. I keep them here. They're just in a Rubbermaid container in various sizes. 
and they're all the same color. And whenever we're going to do something really messy, we just all hand them out and the kids put them on. And if they wore a really cute outfit for that day, then that's gonna protect their outfit and they, they can take it off when the activity is done. And it was, yeah, it was my daughter who ordered all those shirts for me. And we have used them for years and years. So I guess that's another bonus point. So I am going to finish up here today. Just remember, when we take our proactive parenting power and put it to work, we realize the habit of celebration is up to us. And we can do it the way that fits our family culture, our family government, and meets the needs of our children. Celebration is a choice. If my family had waited until all the circumstances were perfect before we celebrated, we never would have. So why create your own holidays? Just as a reminder, holiday parties and events may be overstimulating for your kiddos. The recovery time may not be worth the price for the events outside of your own turf. If it takes days or weeks for your child to recover from the party or the event, then was it really worth it? Now, like I said, sometimes I realize we have to do certain things in our life that we are in survival mode. But if you have a choice and you plan your own event on your own turf, then you can provide felt safety. You can set the schedule you plan the activities, and you can skip and change what doesn't work. Now, I'm linking in the show notes three simple steps to hosting a capital letter syndrome-friendly Christmas cookie and craft day, and three tips for thriving through the holidays, 10 tips for navigating holiday gatherings, and also... Get ready to thrive this holiday season. I have a special email challenge based on my book, 25 Days of Thriving Through Christmas. If you sign up for this seven-day challenge, you can get a free chapter of 25 Days of Thriving Through Christmas and the first video in, there's also a course, 25 Days of Thriving Through Christmas, so you get the first video in this email challenge for free. So that is also in the show notes. So thanks for joining me today and I hope that this was helpful to you. So go ahead and plan your next family event. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find Trauma-Informed Parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.